Welcome back. We are live for another episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers. This is your host, Jack Greenstock. Thank you all for coming back. And I'm joined, as always, by an amazing panel. This week, I will pass it off, as per usual, first to Spartan Growing. Welcome, Spartan. Thanks, Jack. Um, I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. And uh, if you don't do the social media thing, you can shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com. I'm an organic farmer at home here in Michigan, and but at work, I grow synthetically, so I can help you with questions on either aspect, hopefully. Good stuff. It's telling me that the meeting is being live streamed. I understand that because I turned it live, so that's a good thing. Next up, we have Matthew Gates. Welcome. Yeah. Hey, Jack. So, um, yeah, I am an IPM specialist. My name is Matthew Gates, and you could find my content in uh, one of three main places. In the first place you can find it is on Instagram with the username at SyncAngel. You can also find me on Twitter at SyncAngel and also on my YouTube channel, Zenthanol, which is the same channel I'll be talking in the comments about. And uh, I'm excited because I was just talking with Aaron, the grower, who I don't think is with us today. Uh, about uh, light insect vision and the weaponization of light in an IPM context, which sounds cool. And I think it is quite cool. I caught a bit of it and uh, enjoyed the parts that I did here. I'm liking Spartan Grown's uh, glasses that he's got going on over there as well. I want to remind everybody to click on over to the live chat if you haven't already done so. There's only nine, nine of us here so far, but that'll let you see all the messages as I pass it off next to Brandon Rust. Welcome, Brandon. What's going on, guys? Anybody who doesn't know, they can find me at Brandon on Instagram. I am chilling at home today with my lovely lady, and we're just chilling. How's everything going, everybody? Doing well. Happy to have you back, as always. Always great to see everybody here on this panel. Honestly, I look forward to this every single week. I, I'm always happy when I can make it, and uh, that is most weeks. So enjoy hanging out with you guys, including the American one. Welcome. Hello, Jack. Thanks for hosting again. And everyone on panel, good to see you. Everyone in chat, good to see you guys. I'm the American one uh, on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore 18s on the IG. Most of you know me. And if you don't, it's easy to find me. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Spartan Grown, I love those uh, sunglasses sometimes. They do like the thug life and then they put the joint in the mouth <laughs> with that sunglasses uh, combination. It's a pretty good combo. And they play some yeah. Snoop Dogg in the background. Yeah, definitely beats the uh, deer. You don't want to wear that around Michigan at the wrong time of year. I mean, you might get shot at. Uh, but that being said, let's uh, get into the tonight's topic. I just wanted to uh, touch back a little bit on terpenes or just flavors of cannabis and maybe get an idea of what each member of the panel prefers, starting first with uh, Matthew Gates. I know normally we go to you for IPM, but I'm curious uh, what profiles. I know we've talked about it personally. It'll be fun to just go around if you can name off any terpenes or smells or flavors that you like, and then uh, maybe we'll go to Brandon next. You know, I, I typically like the, I mean, this is a sort of a, an array of scents, but I like it when it's gassy, you know, and I feel like that means different things for different people somewhat. And, and I think it's kind of become like a um, expanded term. Like it used to mean something more specific perhaps in certain circles and now people say it almost like saying it's fire it's just like a general positive you know uh, term instead of it being kind of more descriptive I also like um I, I tend to like the things that are a little bit more like like a lot of Russ Brandon stuff uh Brandon has a lot of things that I would I would consider to be very um uh pungent 
very strong, very sort of like um, uh, sometimes a fruity smell, right? But also more so, I think like a, um, how do I put this? I'm trying to search for the right adjectives. Maybe not peppery, but kind of like earthy. Musky. Musky. Yes, a much better word. That kind of stuff. Um, and the names also, of course, um, they kind of match that sort of profile. So I also find it like fitting. Um, so I always, I always appreciate that. But, you know, I'm, um, I'm definitely an equal opportunity uh, terpene appreciator and uh, other volatile appreciator for that matter. I'm puffing on a little uh, peanut butter breath, which does tend to have a nuttier profile. It doesn't taste like peanut butter exactly, but it has like more of like a macadamia or some other nut to me at least. Uh, Brandon, I'm curious uh, if you have a favorite or just a few profiles that you tend to gravitate towards. I think I have an idea. I think uh, I think we can all agree that I'm probably uh, a fan of lime. Um, so the lime isn't so much just like straight lime, but it usually entails this type of like funky citrus chemical that usually has a little uh, like floral element mixed in. But that also kind of has that profile mixed in with some other ones as well. Like the Death Breath, for instance, has um, a really kind of, it's really, really musky, but it's pungent at the same time. And it has more of like a tangerine grapefruit, but it still has that kind of lime that still cuts through. Um and it's very, you know, like I said, these things are very pungent. So I'm always looking for like, I like nasty things that smell like, ooh, that like, it doesn't smell like weed. It smells like, you know, uh, it's, you know, you get, you guys kind of know what I mean. Like when you, when you get weed that smells like something else and you're like, whoa, that smells like. Blueberry it smells like candy. a flavor or scent oh, that I'm already familiar with, kind of thing. Here, yeah. Here's here's a here's a here's one right. The limelight. I grew it all the F ones and selected for my for the um, F two project. And then I open pollinated uh, uh, everything with the male that I selected. But all the stuff that I had selected, they all have this like stale cereal and milk. Um, profile that ha and then some of them have that really heavy citrus lime overtone on it so it's kind of interesting but the lime and then also uh the blueberry pine blueberry pine is a unique combination that um, i only have seen in a couple of varieties and it's usually i think something like pining and linalool as being the first and then maybe have something like terp terpinaline in there that gives it kind of like that that extra punch. That brings up the pine. Terpinaline uh, is part of the terpinine family. Uh, alpha, beta pinene, and terpinaline are all in that same family. So they have piney aromas, whether it's like pure pine, which is more of like the alpha pinene, or more of like the sharp upper, uh, like cleaner is like the beta pinene and terpinaline. I feel like that's probably what we'll see with the Afghani bull rider because... I'd have to go look back at some old tests, but I, if I'm not mistaken, it was terpinaline and linalool that were the front end of that as well. 
a good variety that had the blueberry and pine that I grew recently, semi-recently was Kineos Genetics has one called Berry Lights. It's a mother of berries, a phenotype from Maine. It's a blueberry uh, female that they crossed to their um, Northern Lights that they back crossed twice that they call Kineos Lights uh, that they were selecting for pine. And it was a uh, pretty short and stout, really nice, uh, relaxing indica, mostly blueberry, but had some uh, like more woodsy pine notes on it. And uh, it was very good. Definitely a big fan of that. I just uh, got to try some of Green Shock Farms uh, stuff for the first time. It's some of their tropical sleigh ride, uh, concentrate, some diamonds, and it's some of the most interesting. It's like a combination of like, they say that they get like some mint on there, I think. But to me, it was like, uh, like peaches and like pineapples and mango, just the variety of tropical is definitely a great way to describe it. And uh, it's got a decent amount of CBD. It's like 50% THC and like 8% CBD. But uh, it's definitely got a really nice, enjoyable buzz. And I was uh, happy to get my hands on some. Shout out to Guild Extracts, who did a great job concentrating it down. And I want to pass it over next to Spartan Growing and see what uh, the terpenes that you typically grab for. Not even just terpenes, but flavor, aroma, uh, scent profiles, things like that that you go for. Well, there, I honestly, to be faster and more efficient, I'll just tell you what I don't like. Because I like every, I like a lot of things. And, and honestly, I'm one of those guys that if I haven't tried it, I want to try that. <laughs> so I'm one of the ones that I'm always trying that something new is what I want to try. But um, the ones I don't like is I don't like mint heavy strains that are real minty. And I also don't like, uh, like I like, it's weird. I don't like growing wedding cake, but I can smoke it. But if you're in a whole room of wedding cake, my body doesn't like it. Like I start sneezing and I got to get a mask on and, but I can smoke it and it's just fine. So I tend to avoid wedding cake just because of that reaction that I have anyway. And it's not that I dislike it in any way. It's just that I don't think my body likes it so much. Like it might be an allergic thing or I don't know what is going on there, but I can smoke the weed and it's fine. I just, I don't know. It scares me. (laughs) Maybe a volatile that's just there on the live plants, perhaps that cures off uh, or something that's that's just like in the, when there's that amount of it, maybe a much higher amount of it, like a terpene or something that you're sensitive to, or just a combination of them. Because I know like sometimes with like pine trees, I don't know what the exact combination is. I think it's like when alpha pinene combines with something else, you get uh, some sort of uh, sap. I think Matthew might know. Um, Matthew, do you know there's some sort of combination that uh, pine trees can create? Um, and it creates a really common one that people know. Um, the oh, name what, of, um, a terpene? A it's not a one. terpene. It's like a product that you can resin. get. Like, yeah, it's like a resin, but you can get it at a store. And it's... Yeah. Do you mean, to, yeah. Do you mean like pine tar or like pitch or whatever? It's not pine tar or pitch. I'm totally blanking on it. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely maybe the chat, somebody in the chat will throw it out there, but um, there's a combination. Rosin? No, it's, it's not. Um, fuck. I'm totally blanking out. I do know that the, um, the various, various cultures who have had contact. Turpentine. With- oh, turpentine. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. But yeah, turpentine was the, the word that I was looking for. Somebody shout out to Smiley's Garden in the chat. Good dude. Uh, as far as knowledge, he's got spread out a lot to the community. So shout out to Smiley. And uh, thank you for listening live on the YouTube. But yeah, that was what I was thinking of for sure. And uh, going back to just favorite perfume profiles before I pass it to Tao, I wanted to mention one of mine that kind of came up and it kind of makes me 
have some belief that there will be a cannabis sommelier or some equivalent to that someday, whether they call it the ganjie or uh, interpreting or whatever the hell they want to call it. I don't believe in like paying for qualifications, but I felt a little bit justified the other day when my wife brought home some stuff from the legal market. And it was called the judge. I had never heard of the judge, didn't know what the, the lineage was, but I opened it up and I smelled it without even looking at it. I go, this smells like chem. <laughs> this smells like chem dog to me or like a chem cross or a chem pheno. She pulls it up on her thing and sure enough, it was chem dog. And to me, it just has a very distinct smell. I almost can't even describe what it smells like. It's kind of in that like funky, musty, uh, almost has like a metallic-y, like there's just a very distinct aroma. And I've had it from several different cultivators, several different facilities, several different people. And it always seems to have this funk to it that stands out. Same with Gorilla Glue. Um, Tyson Ranch has some stuff called the Toad. And I go, this is a glue or a glue cross. Sure enough, it's got Gorilla Glue in it. So there's some stuff that just, it stands out like really notably, no matter whose garden it grows in. I know that like there's the grow off where they give the same cut to a bunch of different people. Everybody's stuff tests differently, but I think there is something about certain cuts that pushes forward. Like a lot of cookies tend to have some pepper or spiciness in them, like the beta caryophyllene and other things. But the American one, I'm curious, uh, what are some of your favorite profiles and uh, any thoughts maybe on some of the comments already said? All right. Yeah. Well, first we'll start out by saying much like beer, coffee and pizza, all cannabis is awesome. Some is just way better than others. So I'll preface that. Then I'll, I'll go on to say that, uh, yeah, I love it all, but my least favorite is a lemon flavor and a lime, limey kind of flavor. And don't get me wrong, I still like them, but I just don't love them. Then I like my faves. And um, I like unusual, uh, unusual ones because... Like, I get really sick. I get not sick. I get bored of the same weed pretty easily, usually. And uh, that's one of the things that I like is that it's, it's a little different than everything else. That always helps. But um, I do like, like, some people don't like the fruit. They say it's not potent. I, I think that's this claim. I think maybe some of it isn't. But, uh, like, I like the blueberry. I like, uh, and... Yeah, like Hawaiian punch. I'm not really, there's some that just tastes like Hawaiian punch. I'm not really into those. Uh, my buddy said the one apricot, he said it smelled like apricot. Um, I like it all though. Yeah, pretty much. So I'll, I'll just leave it there. But oh, I did want to mention, yeah, you have, someone was having a discussion on how if you grow the same exact cut in a different spot, you, I, I maintain that, yeah, it'll be a little bit different. But like you're saying, Jack, if it's the same exact cut, I think you'll be able to recognize it from the from smoking it and tasting it. Because even like I, I said, I forget who was talking about it, but I had my same exact cut, grew it out one and two, you know, in two different places at the exact same time. And they looked totally different, but, but the smell was the same. And the effect was actually one was more potent than the other. And I think it had to do with the stress level. So, yeah, but I think, yeah, I don't think it goes. I, but then again, like, oh, I think it was Eagle. He was saying people send him the pine cuts, cuts of plants that when they grew it out was piney and he grows it in his place and it doesn't come out piney, it comes out fruity or whatever. Dragon fruit, he said it smells like. So yeah, what, what do you make of that? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I wonder if like people... Twice. Sometimes I wonder how much the discrepancy is people's own, like, Nose. I, yeah. I, yeah, you know, like some people, like, and there's nothing wrong with that, but like, 
Uh, I was actually just reading, I, I do, I've been doing a lot of research into, um, for some videos coming up about insect senses of smell. And, and also I had the video recently about vision um, and also like just mammalian smell in general. It's a very complex thing. Um, and it's just, it's just interesting how much there can be like, like certain like olfactory receptors in our, in our noses. Um, you know, there's not, there's not one for like every single possible scent. So they are actually brought broadly tuned to, they can, they can, they can mate essentially, they can dock with a bunch of other volatiles. And when, and when those things happen, um, you know, like, I just feel like there could be a lot of things happening because obviously when those scents get to those receptors, they have to go through mucus, they have to go through the air, of course, um, and other things can be affecting that before it even reaches the receptor. So I just feel like there's so much, even before we talk about like people's genes being different, you know, one person to another, uh, even a very, very, very micro scale, I just feel like there's so much like, um, interference I, I suppose it's not like it's a clean interaction none of our senses are really kind of on that same subject what's interesting to me is is they say that smell is the one that's tied most closely to memory so i think that's why for example with cannabis we're always smelling it's one of the first things we do is smell that strain Yeah, I've heard that too. Um, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I feel like, um, I think I was reading actually in one of these papers that uh, scent, for probably obvious reasons, scent is more fundamental than vision. And, and maybe even from like a, a developmental perspective for like most animals, like uh, reception of chemicals and, and figuring out the world through scent and, and chemoreception happened before like you know, eyes developed even prim primitively. So I think there's a lot to that. Yeah, in a sense, really, I mean, you can, you can sense things from greater distances with smell than you can with sight. At least I can. I'm not very good. In some cases, I mean, see. sight can go miles, though. Like, uh, you can see a candlelight in the dark from several miles, and I don't, there are probably some smells that go that far, but some vision, I think, in some cases can go really far. Uh, smell is i can smell behind me though that's true <laughs> that's a good point um one thing i wanted to say <laughs> to the point with like uh, eagle growing the j1 um when you go to like leafly and you look up its terpene profile it says terpenoline fruity uh fresh and complex aromas of pine florals herbs and citrus so right there terpenoline that's a, a terpene that we know that people have like lab extracted they use it in perfumery They've given it to, so the reason that this has that description, fresh and complex aroma. So some people perceive it as pine. Some people perceive it as floral. Some people perceive it as herb and some people perceive it as citrus. The citrus he's picking up, dragon fruit, that could be terpenoline. I think he's picking up the terpenoline. Uh, it's not a high alpha pinene strain. It has high terpenoline. And like I was mentioning earlier, terpenoline is, if, if you look at the word P-I-N, just like pinene, uh, it's part of the terpinene family with alpha pinene and beta pinene. So J1 definitely has a, a variety. The next are osamine, which they write mint, but I pick osamine up personally as more floral. Um, so like Matthew and others have mentioned earlier, it really does come down to each individual and how they smell it. I think there's a little bit of um, sometimes bias. So like say somebody who grows J1 reads this, they might think, oh, it's going to be fruity if they read that and perceive it as fruity, or maybe they think it's whatever else. Or like, for example, I sent out 70 packs of Velvet Punch F2 
And I wrote in the description what I smelled, what I picked for in uh, the F1s that I was hoping to see in the F2 was grapey and gassy. Now, of the 70 growers, of the maybe 20 who've grown them, I'd say like at least 15 of them have found grapey and gassy things. Does that mean that it was 100% in the genetic? Does that mean maybe they're just pursuing, like, did I preconceive, should I have sent it out with just like a, this is number one, this is number two, whatever, and uh, let people just say how it smelled? Like, I don't know, but I definitely think a lot of people, and even some of the samples I got sent back to me that I tried, I was like, wow, this tastes very similar, even though it's a different seed, which is technically, and it's an F2. Um, and even my own F2s that I've grown out tasted uh, very similarly. So it the genetic thing and being grown in different places is a very curious topic to me because when you see the lab results, and I'm curious what Brandon has to say about this because I know you did a cup recently where you gave out the death breath, I think, um, and saw a bunch of different people with a bunch of different lab tests and maybe cultivation plays into it. But um, the reason I brought this topic up was maybe to d dive deep and I know probably none of us have data, maybe Brandon does, but uh, and the people at the grow off do and a few others, but I'm just kind of curious if we were to find, let's say, I don't know, synthetic brings out this or organic brings out that, or a certain type of thing that you can give in synthetic brings out this, or a certain type of thing in organic can bring out that, um, or at least encourage or lean things one way or the other. Um, would that be something worth doing and et cetera, et cetera. But Brandon, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the whole same cut or even uh, seeds from a same genetic line having similar profiles and uh, things like that in different places. You're on mute still. Hopefully you're still with us, Brandon. Uh, Spartan, the piece looks cool. Very clean. Uh, we got Brandon back. Right, what was the question? Go. I was just asking, like, uh, with different cuts, I know that you, I think, gave out the death breath and had a few different people grow it. And I know that it, we saw different terpene tests on paper, but um, I'm curious if you got to sample all of them and if they were similar tasting and smoking effects, things like that. Um, what are your thoughts on different, like, genetics or even the same genetic grown in different locations and uh, their different terpene profiles that come from it. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did that for a contest. I did the sour cheese berry and everybody had pretty decent results. And the majority of the top terpenes were the same, but the order um, sometimes was different in the quantity of each terpene. Um, so different, you know, different types of metabolites produced by the soil micro micro uh, organisms can change stripping profiles and then also i think that the the nutritional uh the nutrition that the plant is fed can also kind of have an effect on the metabolites that the plant's producing as well so i think it's just kind of one of those things where the genetics uh, in these plants are a little bit plastic and they can express themselves in uh kind of a similar variety but maybe expressed slightly different you know depending on the situation so do you think it's more common i guess to simplify the question more common that it would be similar enough that you identify it like for me i, I smelled that the judge or whatever they were calling it and i was like i know this is chem looked it up and sure enough it was a chem dog um yeah. do you think it's more common that it will be identifiable in multiple cultivation environments or it's more common that it changes from one place to another well, I think that if you have the same genetics, you're going to have overall, you know, the really, really similar profile, uh, terpene profile. So 
like sour diesel from San Diego. It didn't matter who grew it, where it came from. It was distinctly sour diesel or something like the sour OG or the AB. You know, there's a lot of different things that could be grown by several different people, but you know that they have a distinct profile. And it may not even just be the combination of terpenes that that plant is producing, but it might also have to do with what type of um, other uh, secondary metabolites like flavonoids um, and different uh, uh, alcohol compounds, you know? And how it's cured too, because I know like Eagle, his stuff is almost always gone really fresh. He has a lot of patients, I think at least five in Michigan. I think he's fully carded. So he gets his bud fresh out to his patients and they consume it within a month of it being chopped. And I know mm-hmm. with like my doc holidays, I was talking about how gassy and how fuely it was for the first month, two months, three months. And it wasn't until I pulled a nug out for the one year cure and I shared it with Sun Girl on 707 that it smelled like blueberries. So I would have never known that if I didn't save that nug. So sometimes I think maybe like maybe I grew that J1, but it maybe the stuff that I'm consuming is older or been cured for a longer period of time than he would have before he was consuming I, it. I wonder maybe. if that's what happened to the okay, the roadkill skunk smell. Maybe it has to like lay around for a year before it comes out or something. I wonder you know about that too. Take, you know what my take on that was? So all of the skunks that I ever remember smoking was they were always kind of um, sweet and funky but they weren't like skunk, but the, the distinguishing characteristic that I recall was like, if you walked into a room that somebody had been smoking in, you could smell that dank smoke. Like that's the, the, the scent of the cannabis after it was burnt was really distinct. And there's been varieties that I've cultivated throughout my life that had a distinct smell after they were burnt specifically some of them smelled like white sage some of them smelled like uh like skunk some of them smelled like um like uh like cedar wood or incense burning i think you're onto something both both of you guys there with the both the product being either cured or stored for a much longer period of time like let's say mexi brick no one's really in our circles compressing stuff sending it to other countries and storing it for maybe a year plus in like somebody's closet and like breaking it off a brick at a time so like by the time the people were getting that stuff like in those bricks and and certain things there were smells and aromas that i don't think we're maybe ever necessarily going to come across because we're not going to put it through that curing if we can call it that curing process and we're not crushing seeds in our shit either (laughs) the seeds i think could be part of it i do think seeding a bud makes it have a different terpene profile and what, no, I mean, um, with the brickweed, the seeds got crushed in that stuff. So that changed everything, too, in some some samples. Yeah, it squeezed the oil out, and then that oil dried in there and then cured in there. That's interesting. I never really thought about that. I was reading uh, is it old, is it an Instagram post. I wish I remember who posted it. Somebody sent it to me. But they were talking about the way in some Asian cultures, the way that they cure their, basically, their BC buds, the lowers. And they just bind them all together. And they used to do it in banana leaves. Now they do it with cellophane and berries. I it. saw that post the other day. Yeah. So we saw the same post. So that, that's what this is reminding. Because in that post, they were saying how the compression itself and then the absence of oxygen was somehow creating different monoterpenes by smashing those oils together. Under those the anaerobic conditions. conditions. It's like a Malawi cob. Genetic Memory Farms has been doing some experiments where he's doing like a pressure cooker Malawi cob where... He does like the wrap and I think he does it in an accelerated timeline, but it does the same effect, heat and pressure time without oxygen. 
um it's really interesting stuff for sure and he said it gets you a much different high and you can eat it because it's decarbed and in the situation yeah. where he's doing it with the pressure cooker because it's heated i just I've, i want to mention something that um the skunk weed that i remember it smelled like a skunk in the bag and it and it, That's, me it too. was potent and it was real it's not like it's some fakeness it's real it was real like a skunk spray yeah. or like a dead and skunk a real yeah real dead skunk well, yep you know my my sfv og smells like that but it doesn't really smell like that till you start driving down the road right when you're like on when you're driving you're oh shit i like dude it fucking smells like that fucking jar smells like skunk or that bag smells you know but when you're in it 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 has kind of like to me it's got that funk but it doesn't have that that stringent really pungent pungent like where it kind of burns your nose you know yeah I, I get that from I'm, some afghanis that sort of like uh i don't know like um, the tire on fire yeah, it's like a that, pepper it's like a it's like a pepper funk acrid some people call like the yeah. foul it's really almost foul smelling some of those foul smelling burnt rubbers that had some skunk aroma but the skunk i grew up with uh late 90s early 2000s in ohio that shit smelled like it was like sprayed with a skunk or dead skunks were like buried in the hole or some shit like it was so roadkill skunk dead on the nose mm-hmm. like it didn't smell like anything yeah. else you didn't even have to open the bag somebody walked in with a nickel bag in their pocket and you could smell them across the room people would be like who got sprayed by a skunk or who hit a skunk on the road and that shit was uh very very specific and i do think there is some truth to the fact that a lot of it got killed off because it smelled so strong the police found people growing it and chopped it down took the seeds and the genetics that were being grown so some of that and definitely got cut down by police some of it i think and i don't really like the spirit so i'm not even name them but somebody suggested maybe back when and some people are still growing this way now but the grow rooms got a lot hotter people were growing with like hps didn't have stuff cooled as much they're just getting into indoor growing when a lot of that skunk stuff was around so maybe they're growing in a lot hotter temperatures and that could have brought it out that's a, a theory i don't know if it's 100 check out because i definitely think people unintentionally get their grow room super hot and don't have skunky stuff popping out left and right and um there's a lot of different possibilities like what brandon was talking about with uh smelling it in the air or smelling it in the smoke like i smelled stuff that smelled through the bag skunky or when somebody else is smoking it from like 20 or 30 yards skunky and i get up to it and it smells fruity or like just regular old cannabis so there is some mystery kind of elusive element of the skunkiness Um, but there was at least one point in my lifetime I, i had stuff that for a period of time, all I could get was pure fucking skunk. That's all we had in my area in Ohio. And it was good, but it was all we had. And it was pretty sedating, heavy shit. It like knocked me out. Uh, it was not uplifting at all. It was very narcotic, potent, strong shit. Yeah, that's there's, there's some called sweet skunk, which is like, I think more a Canadian thing. I don't know really though. But Reader Steve, I think that had, stuff is very different than the skunk that I had and remember. Was skunk yeah. number one. Skunk number one got really sweet. Like the Sam the Skunk Man st- brought the stuff to Amsterdam. And it got really, really sweet. Like the skunk one that we all get now. And know skunk, now. skunk number one was like a cut. It, it was my understanding because that was growing in uh, the circle that I run it, run with back in San Diego that um, like the older crew had that. And my friend that had crossed everything with the blueberry, he crossed his skunk one with blueberry. And it was very disorienting weed. It was one of those uh, types of weed that i couldn't function properly couldn't drive a car couldn't go into the grocery store i couldn't do anything i literally just like had to put myself on timeout. 
You got some of that growing now, Brandon? That's what we need. That's what we want. <laughs> well, I have skunk. I have that blueberry skunk one times MK Ultra. I actually found in the Purple Kush MK Ultra, the F1, I found a cut in there that smells the closest that I would be able to, that I've come to, to finding like, like a skunk, a real kind of skunky pheno, but it's more leans on like a cheeseburger onion smell. Like, like a white oh, I like a onion burger. <laughs> I like a cheeseburger onion smell. That sounds good. You're going to love it's- the Stunny burger I'm growing right now. Um, Sun Grown 707 was just talking about the sample I brought up there and how burgery it smelled and the appropriate the name was to the burger. Cause there is definitely some meaty GMO throws off and some funky. And it's weird because it's like, um, it's kind of like, uh, I did the way that I had described it was like, if you took a fucking run on a marathon with like an onion garlic burger underneath your armpit. And then like you pulled that thing out at the end of the marathon Cause it wasn't just, it wasn't just like the, the, like the onion garlic burger, like profile, but it was distinctly rank and nasty, like, like body odor too. It almost gets a dead body smell with some of those, uh, sort of, uh, aromas and cannabis. I wanted to go to, back to what you're talking about with the skunk one. This is a seed catalog that's handwritten from cultivator's choice, also known as sacred seed. You can see it right there in the little logo catalog number four from fall of 1985. Um, you can see right here, it says skunk number one, F1 proceed. All other varieties are F2. And then you scroll down here, skunk one uh, developed by Cultivator's Choice, stabilized true breeding hybrid. So it was originally a sativa or not a sativa, a, a seed line. And uh, there are cuts of it that gained notoriety. The UK cheese came from skunk number one seed line. The Exodus cheese crew that runs the UK cheese, that's from skunk number one. So there are cuts of it that are notable out there. This is just at least one uh, example and proof sacred seeds was a long time around before uh skunk man Sam, some people think he just kind of took their work and ran there was a big bust and he went off to amsterdam with a bunch of seeds i don't want to get super into it because it's a murky story i don't have all the details i, I wasn't there so i don't want to speak on it you can do your own research i have, I have a, he he apparently got a job someplace and they did a little write-up of his uh accomplishments and it basically has it all the way back from then. So I'll find that. I'll find that and put it in the chat. But well, yeah, there's a guy you know, who didn't like him who wrote up a thing and it says that like he works with certain organizations uh, with the right. U.S. government and things the like three that. Letter, three lettered. Uh, yeah, he did agencies. have he did have a permit with Hortifarm. <clears throat> he worked with Hortifarm for a little while, and uh, which became GW Pharmaceutical yeah. later on. So like they grew uh, a ton of legal. Well, but he's written books about like how to grow cannabis uh, and like. Uh, cannabis he called like matthew might even before know before it was legal yeah he was writing books about it for science you know so like, like the people real. that think he is part of these three-letter organizations somebody kind of i was on that bandwagon for a while because i read something very convincing about sam the skunk man thinking like holy shit he's a, a traitor to the community and then i was like wait he comes on hash church and shit and he tells people how to do dry sift and he's kind of highly praised in certain parts of the community but not to say that makes him a perfect person there's a lot of people that are highly praised like uh I don't, I'm not a fan of Mark Emery. I'll put that out there. He's done some really nasty, terrible things in my opinion. So, but like Sam the Skunk Man is one that I'm a little bit more unsure on. And I definitely think that there's two sides to every story. And the one thing that makes it more convincing to me that he's not like a quote, bad guy for the cannabis community is he has done books like with Robert Connell Clark, who wrote uh, some of the most uh, groundbreaking cannabis literature, in my opinion, of all time. Um, Marijuana Botany, 
being one with Robert Connell Clark. And then the book Hashish was a combination of him and Sam the Skunk Man. Uh, Sam, uh, it's something Watson. I think it goes George Watson. He has a bunch of different aliases. The Hemp Guy, Dave he's Watson, known by Dave Watson. Name. A whole bunch yeah. of different names. But yeah, interesting um, character. You know, did you guys know he had a hand in the first uh, female spray, to, uh, feminized spray? I did not know that. They called him Dr. Frankenbeinstein because they thought he was going to do the whole thing that uh, Breeder Steve is doing now where they have oh, the, okay. the he seeds. Probably that, he probably knows that tech already. You know what I'm saying? He, he doesn't, he's not very uh, public. He's never entertained by new tech. He's like, oh yeah, I did that right. 10 years ago. I, I've bred every turkey up to 20%. So I like, let me, let me say this. I have no idea whether he worked with the, with the government or not for any reason whatsoever, but I do know he holds like patents on like uh, a bunch of strains. So if he wanted to be a real, if he wants to be an asshole, he could, he could, he could, let's put it like that. I I'm pretty convinced of that. So yeah, I'm going to go find that. that uh, well, and then there's that biotech label. LLC who's got all those patents. The federal legalization, I think is going to come with a whole lot of fuckery, whether it's like, you know, them making it only available for big pharmaceutical people or criminalizing it. Like prohibition 2.0 feels so real in certain States. Like where California, we had a great medical program. Then they make rec legal and there's new ways for people to go to jail for cannabis now that were not on the books before. <laughs> so part of the law of making it legal made way avenues for people to go to prison for cannabis. I think part of the issue is it's kind of like, uh, this is a bit of a hot take, but it's like construction work. And uh, Jack, you know, you can back me up on this. There have definitely been some uh, construction, like road construction, for example, in like, and like Southern California, where it seems like it's there for like years when it doesn't seem like it, w- it should take that long. And I feel like similarly, if you're able to keep, if you're able to keep the situation in a bit of a quagmire, where nobody's really ever sure exactly what's correct and what's not, even the like people who are trying to enforce the legislation at whatever you know echelon that they're doing that, and then the people who are trying to like you know stay within the bounds and those parameters. If things are always like topsy turvy, um, then it creates a a difficult situation in order to like even fight your way out of. And I wonder how much of that is actually intentional. Um, but that's just a speculative remark on my part. It's certainly interesting. Um, Spartan, do you have any thoughts on that? On what specifically? <laughs> do you think that, do you think that like, in at least, well, actually, you know, you might have a really interesting opinion about this. Do you feel like, at least in, where you are, there's an advantage to certain organizations keeping things not totally legal and not total, you know, not totally, un- you know, decriminalized or however you might put it. Yeah. Most um, commercial, most commercial right? entities that I know in the state are, do not want federal legalization. Oh, sure. But even if, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like, even if it's not legalized, it's more so that like the, the nature whether whether we're gonna whether we go to legalize it or whether we just decriminalize it like to give you two examples right because those could be mutually exclusive um, yeah they would never want decriminalization they will they would push for legalization um they love the uh, system that we have right now currently in fact they would love to tweak it more and they are actively paying lobbyists to push to keep the rules and regulations in such a way to make it so that 
only the largest with the biggest pockets can survive so that they can capture the biggest amount of the market. I recently heard of um, somebody getting arrested or a mayor or former mayor being arrested, um, I guess, because they helped some cannabis companies, um, you know, sort of tweak the rules, so to speak, or I guess through some sort of a subterfuge. Did you know, has anyone heard this story before? I can go take a look at it. But um, where I don't remember where it was. No, yeah. many, many like it. I'll say in yes. Rhode, Rhode Island, <laughs> the woman who had like overseen the legalization was married to the guy who was going to have like two of the four exclusive licenses for the entire state. So there's always some really shady back alley shit with uh, politics and the government. You got to keep your eyes open and be aware of when they do these policies to legalize. Like people knocked California because for years we kept saying no. We were such like a pro cannabis state, but we kept saying no to legalization year after year after year because there was always some sneaky shit tucked in on the you know very end of those bills. And the people don't want legalization to look like, in many cases, how it's been coming out to look, uh, whether it's Canada, Michigan, or California. I'd say in many cases it leads to before when it was just medical, a lot of people would say, and I've heard the sentiment in the community on several different shows and across Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. I'm seeing people say like, when it was just medical, I could get good product that was a good price and it worked really well for me. Now I can't smell anything before I buy it. It's way more expensive. And it's a, most of the stuff that I buy, like 80 to 90% of it is bad in terms of flour. And I think that's a step back when we had a existing market before that was working. I think we failed to bring that medical market into a legal place that worked for enough of the people that were already existing cultivators and distributors and things like that. So this was in Tallahassee, uh, just for anyone who was curious about the story. And a businessman, J JT, oh, thank thanks for the ad, thanks. Uh, JT, um, we went to, he, I guess, yeah, it was bribery. So I guess these groups were, were going through using him and the network that he had in uh, various places to like tweak the laws so that basically like, kind of like what you're describing, Jack, um, that uh, it would essentially favor only certain organizations over others. And um, um, of course, we've seen this in many sort of situations. And um, yeah, it just, it's just really unfortunate, like, because this isn't quite the quagmire stuff I was talking about. I do think that like, if you keep things in a state of like, not really, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's just, if there's no official outlook, whatever that outlook is going to be, um, then I guess there's a lot more ways to exploit weird, like bends in the rules and um, nobody's really sure on what grounds are, you know, you can even defend yourself legally, you know, even if you feel like you didn't do anything wrong and you're justified, um, good luck trying to figure that out, even if you understand legalese. Yeah, and then there's layers to it, right, built into our whole our whole country so it starts out you have the layer of federal government then the layer of state government then the layer of local government and at each one of these levels it's more and more you know laxed so at the local level there's the most fuckery and then it goes on all the way up so you have to be on your toes man like just at the commercial market as a commercial entity here in michigan you have to pay your fucking uh I don't know what it is. You have to pay every fucking year. You have to pay to the locality the same fucking application fee that you had to pay when you filed for your application. You're paying the same fucking fee every year to your local. Friend, 
then you pay it to the state. And I'm sure when federal comes in, they're going to get a cut too. That's yeah. A friend of mine, speaking of that, uh, a friend of mine is trying to organize um, San Diego based uh, like events around cannabis and even got the, uh, apparently got the uh, certifications or whatever needed to do that. But whenever he calls local, you know, governments like all throughout California to do so, because he was trying to do it for San Diego. And I guess it's, it's applicable to all of California. Well, apparently, like none of them had even heard of it and they didn't even believe him when he said that he could do such a thing. And so, so what are you supposed to do with that? And then he paid kind of an exorbitant amount of money um, in order to like try to support the, uh, the local cannabis community, which in California is pretty, is pretty large. And so it would be kind of nice to see more legitimization that way. Uh, when people really don't have just to like encourage people to do it on their own is, is kind of what we've <laughs> done with the Michigan Road Grow Show is we got tired of clicks and all that. So we just made our own fucking group and fucking did what we, we are trying to be the change that we want to see in the cannabis community and build our own community that way. Yeah. When you have no other option, that's what you have to resort to, right? Yeah. You don't give up. You just create your own. Screw it. That's what they had been doing for all that time already. And so it's just too bad that like they weren't able to make that last leap, but it's okay. They have um, options. So I just wanted to bring up an article I just shared in the chat for anybody who wants to read it, uh, maybe during the show or after the show, but it just goes into a little bit about the legalization of uh, it says marijuana. I prefer the term cannabis just because the ugly history of the term marijuana, not something I'll get into right now. I think a lot of you already know the story behind that. But uh, as we scroll down, just I'll get to the one of the infographics that was memorable and stuck with me. It goes all the way back to 1992. Uh, George Soros, many of you know, billionaire hedge fund manager. Uh, he makes Drug Policy Alliance, which leads to ultimately in 1996, Prop 215 happens in California. But like if you just look at some of these numbers, Louis Soros Sperling pay more than $2.8 million for legalization ballot initiative in Colorado. So when they're putting that money into these initiatives, Unfortunately, they're not doing it so that the little guy can make a bunch of money. They're doing it to try and make themselves and their friends a bunch of money. So they write these policies, hand them to the politicians. Politicians say, okay, this is what you want. There's enough support behind it in our state. And, uh, you know, you scratch our back, we'll scratch your back. You know, we'll get that policy in. You give us all that money in donations and then they get to benefit from it. So these are things that I think people should be aware of. I don't want to get into the uh, super long detailed versions of it but that's public information you can see where these donations are going these people are talking about how they're spending their money and uh, unfortunately it's not with caregiver groups it's with groups like the mcma in michigan who are lobbying against caregivers rights so it's stuff that we have to be aware of and uh be diligent and try and uh if you are able to stay active uh my wife recently was able to have some uh, political action and her and a group of other individuals helped get uh, more access for people in the city that she works in. So uh, I'm thankful that they were able to have their voices heard. Their council initially last year voted on it, voted against it. And it was like a 2-2. One of the people was out of town. So it was split. Uh, before that, it was like 4-1 against cannabis. And this year, it finally went 4-1 for cannabis. So uh, your voices can be heard if you show up and support and give good reasons. So uh, don't feel like I, you can't be heard. I just want to I want to underline that last statement about if you show up, if your voices can be heard, I'm seeing a lot of comments in chat saying no big deal. I'm just, as long as we can grow our own. Well, that's the thing. People aren't paying attention to what these groups are doing 
the MCMA, the group that you brought up here in Michigan, one of the things that they're looking to do is reduce home grow rights by 80% or 70% for home grow, 80% for caregiver home grow. So even if you're keeping your, you know, you're like, it's not my fight, I'm not going to mess with it, and you're not paying attention, that still can affect you and you're not, you know what I mean, you're not paying attention, it's going to hit you and you don't even know. I've always disliked this mentality for a lot of different subjects matter. And I definitely agree with you, Spartan. It's like, uh, it, it will come, you know, these effects will uh, influence you. So it is, I think, kind of um, myopic to just say that, like, I'll just continue to do it. And I won't mind what potential consequences there are in an environment that I exist in where those consequences affect me. Like, that's yeah, great um, <laughs> general advice like i had some stuff go down in my neighborhood with two neighbors they got into it and i just decided you know that's between them i'm not going to get involved even though the one person was saying some pretty derogatory and fucked up shit in my opinion it was like mother's day and they were like saying some really vile shit to a mother in front of their children like you know it's not my fight it was two women arguing i'm not going to get in between them but that one woman who was saying the vile shit ended up going on to harass my wife and several other people uh, in our neighborhood friends of ours and other people that we've met since finding out like, oh, this person isn't just harassing you or them. It's a whole big problem. So we have to kind of come together and figure a way to address it. But I think that can relate to, you know, things in the garden or in politics. Like you said, you have to be heard. I think sometimes calling these numbers, overwhelming them, leave voicemails with support. Um, they will scale back caregivers rights because what they do is just like, you got to history repeats itself. Cannabis has so much negative propaganda. So some of these people, their parents grew up in the days of reefer madness and they got that shit fed to them. So they just really bad and evil. And there's a certain portion of the population who believes that and there's just people who don't use it and they're anti for one reason or another. And then they start throwing things out like, oh, these home growers are stealing electricity. They're uh, don't know how to set up their grows. They're going to burn down buildings. They're going to put people in danger and this and that. So they're going to start throwing shit out there, whether there's truth to it or not, whether there's stats to it or not. They start saying it at council meetings over and over and over again, and they get people to start to believe in what they're saying. So there is power in numbers. You have to show up and say, hey, we've been growing for years. We've never had a fire. We know hundreds of growers. We've never had fires. We're very safe. We're always making sure we're following legal codes and doing this and that, you know, only having the number of plants that we feel was rightfully given to us. We already have it in the code. Like why scale it back for like home growers rights, for example, in Michigan, they're trying to cut it back. Why change it? Why go through the process of changing it? It's already working. Don't change it. You know, politicians hate extra work. Don't make work work for yourself. So it's a uh, clearly financially incentivized. And I want to shout out to Astro Charlie and chat to you reminded me, but uh, we're, they're going to have a rally at the state Capitol a month from today, actually on the 15th of uh, next month. So I believe it's at noon. And uh, I talked to the owner of Mittencanico, my boss, uh, Stephen, because I was asking him if I could sneak out and, and attend. And he's like, we're going to have a half day and we're all going to be up there. So like this guy just continually impresses me with his answers. That's awesome, man. And I just will say, pretty cool. be safe. We love you. And uh, I support people taking political action. But there was just a unrelated, not to cannabis, but there was a not a, a, pro, a protest in LA where somebody just got stabbed. And it is unfortunate when you are coming together peacefully and there's just one bad apple or a few bad apples that spoil the bunch. It'll make the whole event look like it was related to that thing. So it's, it's on everybody just to make sure you are safe and protecting yourself, whether it's police or uh, whatever. Uh, there's people that 
go out there and try to basically make a peaceful protest into a riot. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're for whatever reason instigators. Yes. Uh, there's a, a real word for it that like the CIA even used them. You're talking uh, about a black flag. Operation, black flag. Right? Yeah. But there's a word. It's like a, not instigator, but sabotage. It sounds, it almost sounds like that. It's, uh, it's like agent provocateur. Yeah. Oh, word. sure. Agent provocateurs. I heard it on Joe Rogan initially, and I looked into it, and it actually is a thing. They send people cops or ex-cops or people that just uh, want whatever reaction to be able to happen. Yeah, but these are weed people, man. These are Michigan weed people. It's like, it's not, (laughs) they can try all they want, and we're going to laugh. You know, we're not, we're going to be high as fuck. We're probably going to be smoking out in front of the fucking steps. Who gives a shit? So I'm just saying we're going to be, I'm not worried about you guys. I'm worried about a random ass crazy person in the crowd. So just look out for yourself. Be safe. I know you're a big dude and you're responsible. Uh, I I trust that you're going to be able to take, I'm sure you'll support each other. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be fine. And with that said, I think uh, we're about an hour into the show. Maybe we could talk a little bit about grow. I don't know if uh, I want a little poll. I'm going to do a straw poll from the chat. Do you guys want to talk about veg stuff like uh, popping seeds, early veg cloning, or do you want to talk about uh, flower stuff like flipping a flower? and uh the stretch maintaining the plants things like that i'm going to do a little straw poll and i'll post it in the chat what are you leaning toward pan uh towards panel uh, spartan what do you think i'm leaning towards grinding up another nug of weed here and then smoking it that's what i'm leaning towards what are you leaning towards man i've actually got no i don't even know what the strain of this is so okay i'll talk about this real quick so i I uh, was invited by, thank, uh, it's so awesome to meet uh, Larry OG's family and his wife. But anyways, we, we hung out at Larry OG. He's part of the Catachronic Band with Stoney Rockefeller and all them, and Bobby. And uh, so we walked with the Michigan Bros Grow Show. A lot of us from, from the Bro Show, we uh, met up at Larry OG's house and uh, we kind of partied down yesterday. So I'm a little bit slow, but at the same time, uh, I got a bunch of weed that people handed me. So uh, DP, shout out to you. He, he handed me before I left. He said this was a one-to-one strain, but I f- couldn't remember what the name of the uh, the strain was. But that's how I've been smoking this whole time, this one-to-one. It's really good. <laughs> it sounds good, man. I, I actually like uh, mix more than uh, heavy CBD. If I have some CBD, I want it to have some THC in there as well. I like the full effect of kind of a little bit of everything. Yeah, this one just seems like really stony. Like, man, my eyes feel droopy. So I'm really liking it. But I've had a, <clears throat> I've been, it was a three and a half hour drive because it was just outside Chicago. <clears throat> um, Tara rented a Airbnb in Chicago, which was badass. A couple stories. We could, uh, we had a, a rooftop access. So we were smoking out on the roof. You could see the Chicago skyline. You could see the Sears Tower and all that. It was pretty fucking dope. Shredder wants to know if Larry let me ride the scooter. No, I didn't ride no scooter, man. I was in his pool, though. He had a saltwater pool. Those things are so cool. You're super buoyant in them, it feels like. I'm used to freshwater being a Michigan guy. That saltwater is pretty cool. Saltwater is cool, but it comes with some uh, caveats. Like we have some real sharks. I guess bull sharks can be in freshwater, but not necessarily Michigan lakes. Yeah. Saltwater, we get the great whites out there and uh, some other things. We don't get nothing. You got to worry about it in a pool in Chicago. Yeah, pool in Chicago, saltwater <laughs> pool, man. No sharks. I was the only shark. When's the uh, next float? Or was there a float recently? I know that you get the Michigan Bros do the float 
We Donna usually do one River. a year, and then the other ones are like not really announced or anything. Um, I don't know if we're doing another one. Uh, it's been suggested that we should do them a little bit later, at least because it would be a little bit warmer. But uh, I don't know. I'm always down to do that anytime because I can just. I've always got my. I never take it out of my trunk, so I've always got my float, and my pump, in my trunk, and I'll show up and just fucking throw in the water. I don't care. All I need is take my shirt off and have some shorts on. I'm good to go. It's like me. I keep my wetsuit in my car in case I ever, if there's good waves, I can just jump in the ocean, go body surf, or if somebody wants to go swim, uh, some of the lessons I teach, the kids will be like, oh, let's cool down with the swim. So it's always good to have something. It looks like drying and curing is actually pulling ahead. We've only got eight votes, two for seed popping, veg and cloning. Maybe I'll refresh it, uh, but it's on auto refresh. So we've only got eight people who wanted to click the straw poll. I think the people are afraid to click the link. They just want to keep watching the show. There's... Is there a link in the chat? You should put you should put what yeah, the posted. poll is on when you put the link down. I think people might not have known when they looked at the chat. I don't know. Okay, I'll I'll repost it, chat. This is oh, your, yeah. this is your chance. Can, I don't know. I don't know how to do this, but sequence has been doing it. There's been an update, and you should be able to put a link or a poll right Penny. in the chat, and they and yeah. it should show the results right to everybody in chat. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. So, what's the link for? The link was to it. He was doing a, he was doing a third party straw poll rather than using. Uh, I think there's a way you can do the poll right inside the chat because uh, sequence does it all the time, especially in the late show, late sesh. Because we always ask, we're always fucking with chat a lot in late sesh, so we're always asking their opinions about shit. Well, there you just figured out how to pin it, the straw poll. Family Farms here with the uh, with the the good cybersecurity advice. Um, <laughs> I know it's counterintuitive here, but yeah, uh, generally speaking, don't go to links that you don't trust. Don't click on links you're not familiar with. Um, it'll save you, can you trust and this link. We your promise. loved ones. We promise we're okay though. So <laughs> by proxy. <laughs> Shout out to Abolish, our producer there at Michigan Bros Grow Show. He says uh, the person running the channel can do it. It's by the super chat button. Oh, we don't have a YouTube. We don't have a super chat thing. We're a non, I don't know if we've like monetized or made it pro or whatever. So maybe we don't have access to that. But you know what? This is working just fine. It looks like uh, right now we're tied. The flower stretch, uh, flipping harvesting, uh, seed popping just got another vote. But oh, flower just pulled ahead. So we've got 11 votes for flower. Uh, drying and curing has 10 which maybe we can go from flower into drying and curing because seed popping and veg got the least amount of votes. So I think that's the uh, option. Maybe we'll do a half hour talking about flower, stretch, uh, the flip and all that, uh, including harvest. And then we can get into drying and curing at the end. And I'll pass it over first to Brandon because you've been awful quiet over there. I hope you're still with us uh, and able to join in this rest of the last hour conversation. And if you do have to leave early or whatever, maybe this is a perfect time for you to jump in. So. Yeah, I do have to go in a little bit, but I can talk. But um, let's see the stretch. So typically, <clears throat> I like to kind of keep my nutritional levels the same throughout, but um, I like to increase. Um, I like to kind of switch up on my uh, cations where I decrease the percentage of calcium and I increase the percentage of uh, potassium after the first two weeks, uh, after the first two weeks of, um, 
flower. And when I start seeing the flowers start to um, uh, the onset of flower, and I start to see them develop, um, you know, always just try to make sure I have a sufficient amount of phosphorus in the soil that can be cycled. And uh, so hitting them with a good amount of, you know, like calcium phosphate, soft mineral rock phosphate, or uh, a small, lot smaller amount of something like uh, high phosphorus seabird guano uh, can really help. But I just kind of try to keep things balanced and, and insufficient, you know. It's good stuff. Do you have any uh, thoughts on uh, your harvest technique? Do you do anything final week or weeks leading up to the harvest? No, I, you know, in the ideal situation, I'm, um, you know, getting a soil and saturated paste test back bi-weekly and I'm able to do maybe a three or four sap analysis during a whole cycle. And if I do that, you know, twice I can get a pretty good uh, gauge on nutritional needs whether they're a higher calcium feeders if they require more or less nitrogen more or less phosphorus those types of parameters um, but mainly you know I kind of have a baseline that I like to work at and I keep it pretty much on that baseline throughout the the cycle and then, you know, we're still working on being more efficient when it comes to harvesting and stuff. We're pretty new to having to, you know, have a, a small team try to harvest a, a really large quantity at once. It's a combination of making sure that you've done the proper pruning and training techniques early on. So later on, when you're harvesting, you don't have to go and start pulling off a lot of fan leaves that are going to be you know it's it's not going to be economical it's time consuming or you have to have some someone go in there prior to harvest to do that and you know you just have to streamline your operation basically and we're still working on uh on the small details to do that speaking of details uh what about the dry and the cure before uh, you head out what do you like oh, to do yeah, what's the rust yeah. brand and dry cure strategy yeah so what we like to do is Right now we're using an insulated, like spray foam insulated, 40 foot tall, uh, 40 foot long, nine foot tall shipping container. And we have, you know, uh, steel racks that everything gets hung on. And we keep everything relatively cool around like 65 degrees. And we keep our humidity pretty low around like uh, 50. And we, you know, or even 45, 45, 50. Do you hang the whole plant or do you go to branches? No, we're hanging branches. It's too much biomass uh, right. if you just try to hang whole plants. So we cut them down into manageable, manageable pieces that are easily uh, handled or hanging that are going to be manageable to put in totes when they're done um, for, you know, so they can get bucked. So you have to think about like, you know, how you can streamline the whole process, but uh, we're getting better at it. It just takes, you know, team effort and good scheduling.
how long do you like to uh, dry and cure for? Um, so, you know, we usually have it around 45, 50 for, I think the first maybe three or four days. And then it's around 50, 55 and we'll, you know, it depends on what the weather is like really, because if it's, even if we're in a, you know, sealed container, soon as we open those containers up, if it's raining outside, the humidity gets in there, you know? And so those are huge factors that are in play. Or as soon as you take it out of that container, like you take it to another location to have it trimmed, if it's really humid out and it hasn't been in there long enough, it'll start, you know, it'll remoisten to the... It's like a sponge. Yeah, like the atmospheric Dude. humidity, so... I've been fighting it recently when I, cause I have an area that's like air conditioned that I try and leave it in to dry. And then when I take it out to trim it down and stuff, I'm in a different room yeah. and it is totally amazing how at first it feels almost dry. And then by the time I'm done chipping it down, it's like, it's literally sponged up again. It's like crazy. Yeah. Ideally our, our goal is to buck everything up or, tote everything up so it can get bucked and have that stored, push all our cages back and then trimmers can set up tables in the container. So that way there's no fluctuations when it comes to um, RH and temperature, you know, because those are the biggest variables, but you know, we want to, obviously we want to make sure everything's dry. So it's usually around 10 days that in those conditions where it's fully dried out, you know, we don't that want sounds like a good much, dry time. Moisture, yeah. It's interesting what you guys were just both talking about. Cause I use the herbs now and it gets dried in like four and a half to five and a half days, but it's really dry at that point. And I'll put it in the curador at 60 degrees and 60% relative humidity uh, in a jar. And over the next week, it gains that moisture back a little bit, just to the point where I think it's perfectly like it gets that sponginess back. And uh, I think that's to me, the perfect cure. Uh, that I've been able to pull off versus my hang drying and drying in the curador straight up. But it's definitely interesting to see how quick the buds can rehydrate, I guess. And um, if it's a little bit overdried, it's not the end of the world. I I do think you lose a little bit of terpenes if you dry it out like super crispy, bone dry that might not ever come back. When, uh, When I was out in Hawaii, I got some fresh weed and I learned real quick in those types of climates, like you can literally open your jar to pull the nug out, but you got to close that stuff up immediately. Right. Because out there, the, it's like the weed is never, it doesn't dry out. Right. Like you could leave a nugget on your counter for a month. You know, I mean, we weren't there a month. We were there there a week, but it's like Florida. Yeah. So it just, it doesn't, it's not gonna, it's not going to become crisp like that. It's just going to kind of, yeah, it's just going to kind of age. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting characteristic when it's so moist outside that the bud will never dry out. Like I had some bud in Florida that was old, but it was still really damp and it had a funky ass smell. We call it like merch or mids or just shit like <laughs> swag. And it was, it had, it's so different than like the smell when it's in like Arizona or Ohio in certain spots or California where when it gets dry, it is like powdered up dry. So it's a totally different level of mids. Neither one's enjoyable, I guess. But uh, Spartan, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on uh, the flipping over to flower? Do you do anything before flower, uh, prepping for the stretch? 
how do you manage the stretch and uh, anything fancy and flower you like to do before you harvest? I got to get oh. going, guys, before Spartan says anything. I'll see you guys soon. See you, Brandon. You have a good night, man. It's out. It's good seeing you, dude. Um, have a great one, Brandon. Enjoy the woman. I don't do anything special before flip. Uh, on the day of flip, I, if I hadn't already done it during veg, I'll make sure I make sure the bottoms are cleaned up because I hate shit hanging down into the soil level. That that irritates the shit out of me. So I'll at least clean the bottoms up. And then uh, usually, so if the plant for me, I, I'll use leaf stripping to control stretch. Um, so if, if, if a plant that I feel is too tall or the plant I want, I'm trying to slow down the stretch, I'll strip it a little heavier just to, because it'll slow down the stretch. And, um, but if it's not like, if it's a, if it's a plant that I think is a defined size, then I, I might just take some big fans that are, uh, I feel shading where I don't want them or it's too congested for airflow. I might do a, a small, you know, just thin down with some leaves. But other than that, I don't do anything crazy in, in flower unless the plants start looking like they're suffering or needing something. I, I just let them roll. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the work is done in veg and uh, prepping for flower so that they're ready to kind of rock when you flip. You can kind of manage them oh, a little bit and just let there them There is one big major change. I forgot. Sorry. One big major change is in veg, I uh, tend to use oil-based sprays for an IPM, but in flower, I change. So in flower, that's when I've got my predators ordered and, and I'm applying, you know, beneficial. So that's a big change because it's because I'm not using sprays in the flower room. So I guess that would be a change. But other than that, yeah, everything else is the same. That's uh, often overlooked, but I'm sure Matthew is happy grinning over there off camera, hearing <laughs> about predators being implemented as, oh, what's one of the important parts of your flowering process? Getting those bugs ready to fight the bad bugs. So I think that's a very good step that uh, I'm glad that you mentioned it. And switching from the oils to a predator, um, I thought you were going to say switching from the oils to a different spray. And it's always uh, refreshing when I hear somebody say, oh, yeah, predators are there primary uh kind of line of defense for ipm or at least one of the major parts i think some ipm stuff that doesn't get talked about is like keeping a clean grow space uh managing your plant good airflow and all those other things uh proper like your filters are being cleaned and uh, replaced when needed and, and other things like that the little things that go overlooked that can actually like if you clean your grow between each grow i think that's going to limit the amount of pathogens that might potentially build up as if somebody just never cleans their grow ever and um, you definitely notice the difference between somebody who's got their garden very clean and straightened up versus somebody who's kind of just letting it do its own thing. Both can be very successful, but I think uh, it is definitely good to have certain things uh, cleaned up. One of the big things that I feel like, just to add on to that a little bit, that I feel like people should consider when they're going from like veg to flower is, uh, you know, you should already be doing this, but especially crucially, uh, before you switch, so just take a look at the area around your, your grow space and just be a little bit more cognizant, especially if you're in like a transitional period um, where like the seasons in your area are starting to change, whether that's like dry season to wet season, <clears throat> or if it's to like spring to summer, summer to autumn, autumn to winter, winter to spring, you know, it's at those periods where you really want to make sure that you're, um, you're, you're ready for uh, other potential threats and things like that in your space. Um, because they're going to be coming out, you know, in the spring or in the winter or in the autumn. They, there's different insects and things like 
they come in at different times. It's not just that only insects or other pests are going to be associated with just the springtime or just the summertime or just when it's hot. It happens all the time. That's a great point. I wanted to let Spartan maybe finish up his thoughts on flower and uh, any harvest, pre-harvest things that you do, and then uh, your drying cure process. Yeah, so let me see. You pre-harvest, I do, I do, I like a lights out period before I harvest. So I like to do two days, usually two days in the darkness and then I harvest. Um, I do a pre-harvest leaf strip where I remove all the leaves that I don't consider it's not something I would save to do an extract. So anything I wouldn't save for an extract comes off the plant before I hang it because my dry room is smaller and uh, I want to have good airflow around my buds. And because I usually pack up to four plants in there usually on a, on a harvest. Um, but yeah, it's pretty traditional as far as drying and curing goes, other than the fact that I dry in the dry room rather than uh, a tent or my grow room or any of that it's a controlled environment dry room and um, because of that I just will never even look at them until it's at least two weeks because it won't get over dry but it can be not dry enough so what's uh, your temp weeks. and humidity you shoot for what's so automation? if I'm putting in a full room like four plants in there I'm on I'll set my humidity down to 50 percent for the first day maybe two days and then uh, I'll go to the, the standard 60-60, 60% humidity and 60 degrees and uh, leave it there. But uh, I like to bump that humidity down a little bit at the beginning on the first day or two because there's just so much humidity in the air that uh, in the way that the, the dehumidifier cycles and there's like a, a period of time in between where it's not testing the air. So uh, I just like to do that lower humidity at the beginning like that to make sure um there was a question that somebody had asked about hay smell and the hay smell comes on if you dry too quickly so uh, slowing down that uh dry is is um is actually it doesn't apply to what i'm talking about right now but i guess yeah slowing down the dry is how to pick that fix the hay smell but uh i'm speeding up the moisture draw at the very beginning and then cutting that back down to 60% to slow the dry at the end. I'm just, I'm just trying to quicken it at the beginning. I think there definitely has to be something to do with the quickening it at the beginning, getting that moisture out of there early, I think helps. Uh, well, what it does is it brings you down the, from the threshold from mold. So that's the real, that's the real reason for trying to get all that moisture out right away is um, you want to be under that water. Uh, what is the, the industry name for that? Uh, when they catch for water content, it's something. But whatever water activity, active water so content. Get, yeah, you're trying to get the water activity to a, a low enough level where you're below the mold threshold, but you're still not stopping the curing process. I guess is the best way I can say it. I have like a wood tester that I know the number. That's like when the bud's perfectly cured, and when it's too dry, and when it's too wet to smoke still. So that's a fun little me measure, but I don't think it applies to what the measure that you were just talking about for sure. The one thing I wanted to say to the TJ Richmond comment and the hay smell was I totally thought my herbs now would have brought upon a hay smell, but trying it harvest after harvest after harvest, I've not had a hay smell. And even when I double dried for my seed crop, I thought like, oh man, I'm doing it just to make sure the seeds are all the way dried out. I'm kind of sacrificing the bud anyway. Um, so I was ready for it to be maybe hay smelly, but it still 
after I put it in the curador for a little bit, got a little moisture back in it. It smells just fine. Smokes just fine. Um, the hay smell, his claim, the Scott and my herbs now comes from drying in an environment that's just not optimal, whether it's too hot, too cold, too moist, or too dry, something that is allowing for a mold to form because he believes or claims that the hay smell is a mold or mildew or something forming. It's definitely unpleasant and undesirable. Um, so I'll read the whole question. TJ Richmond, question for the panel. There are lots of opinions about how to get the hay smell out of your dried flowers. What advice do you have for home growers who deal um, with this probably is what they finished the sentence with. But so my thought would be, I've used the herbs now enough times that I can confidently say like, I don't get hay smell from it. Um, he's saying it's because it's a low enough RH that it's not in that risk for mold. It's actually a little bit higher heat than I would have chosen. If you said, Jack, you can pick a temperature, dry your flower at the best. I would have said 60, 60. I tried that in my curador against my herbs now, which was like between 70 and 80 at certain parts of the dry process. And I still preferred the bud that came out of the herbs now every time. So I just, I don't understand the science behind it, but I just go with what I like the most. So that's been the process so far. And um, I'm still trying to figure it all out. He has some lab tests and third-party people like Grow Easy have some lab tests that the terpenes are actually higher in his herbs now versus his uh, other sample. But I do think there is some bias if you pick the right or wrong bud. One of them is going to test higher or lower either way, uh, testing it versus a 60-60, 14-day hang-dried cured bud. So that is definitely a uh, conundrum for me, but I'm enjoying it. And it makes it really simple because every single time I know it's four and a half to five and a half days for my dry. Um, but I want to pass it over to the American one. I don't think we've gotten your thoughts at all on the uh, flipping a flower. Do you do anything pre and uh, early stretch? Do you, how do you control stretch or do you manage right. it in any way? Well, first, let me just say, so he's saying the question is uh, how to get the hay smell out of your dried flowers. So I think if you already have dried flowers that are smelling like hay, I think if you just let them sit for a long ass time, that smell may dissipate. I've only, I haven't really had that, but I will say this. If your plant isn't mature, ripe and ripe, you can get hay smell. If you cut it too early, you get hay smell, even if you dry it properly, I think. That's the first thing. And then um, I believe that it is, if you get that super fast dry, it, it locks in that hay smell. So I don't know about if you go too, I don't think if you go too slow, like I've never experienced that, but I do remember a couple of times where it was this like stupid dry, the heat was on, for whatever reason, if it dries like overnight to where it's dry, the hay smell is there. That's what I'll say. And then like, yeah, if it's already dry, I don't know. Some people do that, that water cure, which I would never, I, I just couldn't do it, but. Kyle's trying, um, he's not here with us, but the, I think what you just said, if it dries overnight, the yeah. VOCs, the volatile organic compounds, the basically chlorophyll primarily, I think is what that green, it's like a cut grass or like a, a hay smell. I think it comes from maybe if the dry was done so quickly that maybe the VOCs from that off-casting the chlorophyll maybe are trapped in the Locking, resin yeah. or trapped yeah, in the flower. I don't know. But uh, I definitely have seen that happen. And like you said, maybe just letting it sit for a long, long time because those do tend to gas off over time. And it changes. Yeah. I mean, everything, it seems like I never really have shit for years in a jar in my room or anywhere. I just don't. So I'm going to start trying experimenting with that. But the last time I had shit that I didn't like that much, 
I put it in the corner, you know, and it sat for a long time. And like you said about the, um, that one other strain you were talking about, it totally changed. The next time I opened it up, it was way, way better. So Smiley's talked about throwing away keepers like that. He's like, oh shit. Like I threw that thing away already. And like, I came back to it two months later and now it's his favorite smoke. It's right, like, oh, damn. Right. So, it changes up on you. Yeah. And all right. So as far as the stretching thing, what I hear, I do a lot of seeds and stuff. So I try and put them in at a certain height and where I could make it work either if they don't stretch at all, or if they stretch like a retard or a special person. Um, so I pretty much, uh, I've had both instances where I put them in and they didn't stretch hardly at all. And there was a little harvest and I had other ones where I put them in and like in a week they were through the lights. So if you know your strain, you get, you can work it a little better. That's the first thing I'll say. And I was, I, this sticks in my head because I was running the strain for a while and eventually I, I inserted the elevated CO2 levels and the stretch on it from having the CO2 in there was just tremendously more than before the CO2. So I'll just mention that. I don't know. I don't change my CO2 because I have basically, I have two tents in the same area and it's always CO2 enriched. So um, but that's what I'll say about that. And I did try the, um, someone claimed a long, long time ago to me that if you put your plants in 24 hours of darkness, you could shave like three days off of the uh, harvest time if you do it before you put them into flower. So I've done that a couple of times. I don't think it makes much of a difference. I really I don't keep track enough to really be able to tell, but I figured it wouldn't hurt. And I tried that a couple of times. So I don't mind experimenting. And, uh, yeah, basically everything you said. Oh, and the other question that uh, Smart Poker put in about the Canatrol, did you see that? That's basically like um, your, um, what is your device called that you cure? The Curador, except it's bigger and they have different versions of it. Yeah, there's a few different things, to be honest. I'm not like uh, paid by Curador. I just won that on 420 a few years ago. It works for me, but I have sent the American one and others like wine fridges that have similar they'll keep it at 60% humidity yeah. and 60 RH for like 160 bucks. It's a smaller version. Um, but there are other things out there that do it. It's just, that's the one that worked for me. And uh, they had actually tested lab tested cannabis after like three months, six months, nine months in a year and show that they kept from like 1.45. They went down to like 1.41 after a full year where the sample at room temperature went from like 1.45 down to like 0.78. And the stuff that was cured with like Bovita and Integra packs dropped down to like 0.5 terpene. So it lost like so, wow. so much more. It, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. I'll just say that those Curador and even the one that that Canatrol is called, I looked at, I looked at it quick. If they just like refrigeration units that aren't refrigerating to the point of cold, that cold, you know, and even like it's a little walking box, you can see it's just like, um, it's basically refrigeration. That's not, it's like a wine cooler. Like you were saying, keeps it around. You, just as long as you maintain humidity and temperature, anything could be like a curador, right? Well, yeah, that's exactly like what Spartan's uh, drying mm -hmm. space, a controlled environment, that's a curador. I mean, anything that can keep right, a temperature exactly. and a humidity in a space that you know is consistent. And there, consistent, it's yep. not like a, there's no um, outside source that can contaminate it, like a dust. Some people used to cure where I was at in Ohio, clearly in their basement. And it smelled like damp, musty, dank basement every time, no matter what strain they have. It'd be like Northern Lights, smelled like damp basement. Uh, you know, sour diesel, smelled like damp basement. Like strawberry cough, smelled like the damp basement. It's like, it smelled like where it was cured. But if you have it in a nice, clean, 
environment, whatever it is, control environment, grow space, or uh, drying area that will allow you, I think, to preserve your terpenes the most. Most volatiles will start to volatize at, not most, some of them, the most volatile terpenes and esters and aldehydes, ketones, other things, will volatize at as low as 68 degrees, which is like 20 uh, Celsius. And then 25 degrees Celsius, which is, I think, 77 or 75 Fahrenheit, is the next one that a lot of the terpenes will go at. But keeping it at mid-60s, low-60s is pretty safe for cannabis. And a lot of uh, states have like regulations that cannabis expires at one year. It's still fine after a year, <laughs> unless it got mold or something. But uh, I, I've tried to now only keep stuff for a year because after that point, I think it's gotten to the point in the cure. It's not going to get that much like one year versus a year and six months versus two years. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll have to experiment on it, but I don't think there's going to be too much change after a full year of curing and aging. But DJ Short claims that his Vanna Luna, it's like a really sativa strain. He only likes it after two years cured. Like, how do you even know that? He's got enough of it sitting around. But uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's an interesting dude. Shout out again to DJ Short. If uh, he ever listens or hears this, uh, we want you on the show. So we'll have Spartan hopefully reach out to you if you guys bump into each other at a show. Maybe at this protest. Maybe he'll be there for the uh, caregiver's rights. He might. I don't know. He might be out there for that. He's easy to spot because he wears a fedora. And he's the only he's usually the only guy around wearing the fedora. So he's pretty easy to spot. It's funny, he's low-key and at the same time he's not low-key at all. Because if you know, <laughs> yeah, you're what almost to look like, for. man, should I go up and talk? To, I, I don't know if that's him. Maybe it's just the guy that looks kind of like him. It's close and he's on all of his seed packs and everything, you know, like the cartoon version of it at least. So big yeah. shout out to him. Oh, do we have, I think we have, there's another question in chat I threw in there. Uh, what was it? No, it was still the hay smell stuff. Never mind. No, no. We did have another one. in the time. Yeah. True serum. I have a question about flipping my first grow. Lights out for veg now is at uh, 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. When I switch to flower the next few days, does it matter if I switch to lights off 6 p.m. to 6 a.m.? So, the best way I can answer questions like this is like, if you're changing your cycle in your flower, extend the dark period and don't extend the light period. So if they're going to get more of anything, give them more darkness. I agree with the giving them more darkness. I needed to reread the question. Uh, I was looking for that science that the curador team did with the lab testing but it's from them so i guess people claim it's biased anyway so it's not even necessarily worth showing it. i probably showed it in the past anyway um but yeah flipping my first grow lights out for now veg is 12 a.m to 6 a.m when i switch to flower the next few days does it matter if i switch lights off 6 p.m to 6 a.m or 12 a.m to 12 p.m i would do um the 6 p.m I would have my lights off actually opposite of what you're saying. So 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., I'd probably push that back. This is how I do it personally. Because in California, we have like charge by the usage time. So like anything from four to nine o'clock costs more. So check with your local power. I'll say that first, Mr. Truth Serum, and see if you have metered usage or if your usage is the same 24 hours a day. If it's the same 24 hours a day, it doesn't apply as much, but I'd still suggest run your lights on at night and run the lights off during the daytime. And that's because it's going to be cooler outside during your lights on period. 
So that way you can draw cool air in from outside and hopefully not have to use air conditioning, depending on how large your grow is. You can cool it with the outside air, where if it was middle of the day and your lights are on, uh, like you're kind of suggesting now, it's going to be a lot harder to regulate that heat. So that'll make things just a lot easier on you. And it might actually save you money on power. So that would be my suggestion. Uh, the American one or Matthew, do you have any thoughts on truth serums question? No, not, not, it hasn't already really been said. Um, so I'll try to keep it succinct. I, I kind of feel as though, um, yeah, it has been my experience that if it is, that if it does happen, the drying does happen way too fast. I feel like that is, is usually the problem or, or at least I feel like that predicates um, the problem or precipitates, you should say. Um, but like at the same time, it's hard to know, like, cause sometimes like I had a friend who recently was curing and uh, they actually, uh, let me just switch to saying this as a general rule of advice, um, clean your jars or whatever things that you're using to, um, uh, to cure your, um, your, your product, because uh, if you're not careful, you might sometimes get like spores or pathogens or things from the air waft in there. And then in those jars, as the humidity changes because of the off-gassing and other sorts of things, um, that can cause, uh, you know, if, if mold gets stuck to the plant tissue, it could be viable and you could get a mold problem, uh, even if there wasn't really much of a problem on the product when you harvest it. So just be aware of that. It's interesting because a lot of people maybe invite that problem into their jar when they're burping. Some of the old heads suggest, and I think Ed Rosenthal and a few others have, and some guys I know locally, they believe once it goes into the jar, it's sealed. And they're doing like a, in their opinion, cure at that point because it becomes anaerobic. They're taking the oxygen out of the equation. They're putting it in a dark place with no air other than the air that's in the jar. Some of them will even vacuum pump the oxygen out of the jar or like um, some people put argon or a different gas that'll displace the oxygen that doesn't oxidize the cannabis as quickly. Um, I don't like the nitrogen packing personally. I've seen a lot of commercial groups do nitrogen packing. The bud looks green up like six, 10, 12 months later, you open it. And within like 24 hours, it goes from like green to orange to brown. So I'm not a fan of nitro packing argon. I'm still up in the air on uh, personally. I think vacuum sealing and pumping it out would probably be the best way to go, but I'm going to do a little share screen to show that data I had mentioned earlier, just to be, um, I guess, concise on that topic. So this, this is from Curador curing innovations youtube but you can see it starts at just below 1.5 the curador is the blue dot room temp uh, control group and then humidity packet and then i'll hit play i have it on mute but it'll uh go to the actual percentage numbers here in just a second let's get forward but you can see the control group uh 1.45 to 1.32 at day 90 1.18 at day 180 270 all the way down to uh almost 1% and then below 1% after a year. And that's just at room temperature, whatever that is, I would guess around mid seventies. Curador 145 and it drops all the way down to 141, which is only a loss of 0.04 versus the humidity packs. I think they tested the Integra and the Bovita Boost started at 145, ended at 0.67. So that would suggest to not use those packs long-term. Yeah, they're uh, but, suggesting that those fucking that regular room temperature is better than a humidity pack is what they're saying. Well, that's a lot of people say they steal terps. That was the whole thought. A lot of old school growers had said that to me for a long time. I thought they kind of bovita at least because it's a semi-porous pack. 
they have like holes in the pack and they use a salt base. I could smell them on like 25% of the packs when I used to use them back at a delivery service. Some people say that they fixed that issue. Um, we had probably 500 of those packs and maybe one to 200 of them I'd smell it on and the other ones were fine. But the ones that I smelled on, it had kind of like a chemical type of aroma that was very distinct. Like I was like, oh, these all, because I smelled the bud when they got dropped off from the distributor. I wrote up the descriptions, I put it into the jar. And then after it was in the jar for a day or a week or however long, I could smell it after and be like, oh shit, this changed. And they all have a similar change. What was the commonality? We figured out Bovita was the thing. We tried Integra for a little while and those worked well and didn't have any smell issues. I guess it's a fully sealed pack. They use like a vegetable gel glycerin. I'm not sponsored by either of them. I did win some of those on 420 a few years ago, but um, to be honest, I don't think you need them. I think um, the best thing to do is get it properly dried before you're jarring it. And if you do that, you're not going to have a whole lot of problems. Um, I think it actually gets better in the jar in many cases, but that just uh, comes down to getting it properly dried. I think I like that it. stem snapping is a good indication. Like if you can get it to snap without peeling, I think that's typically a point where it's at least dry enough, um, but it's not always perfect. I just think it comes with experience too. It's like, you're going to, you're going to harvest lots of weed in your time, hopefully. And you're going to get to know what fucking, you know, cured weed is looks like or not when it's good to go put in a jar and you're, you can be comfortable just leaving it there. And it just comes with time and trying shit out and, and failing and learning from your mistakes. I see. There's a lot of, that's the one thing that's a little frustrating. I think not only for new growers, but for people trying to help new growers like ourselves is that there's not always a one answer fixes everything. You know what I mean? A lot of things you just have, like, for example, when to water you know what i mean it's one of those things that's just like you have to just do it and and get some experience under your belt and learn what it feels like to lift up a pot that's full learn what it feels like when you fit you know pick up a pot that's empty be able to make that judgment call there's some stuff that's the art of this you know see what it looks like when it wilts when you let it go too long because you didn't water it or you have it drooping because you watered it again too soon and you overwatered it Learning those things is definitely a feel uh, that to me, watering what you just brought up. That's one in particular, no amount of reading articles, watching YouTube videos, unless you're going to go like uh, whoever is using the scales underneath their pots and is like measuring the amount of water they put in and, and weighing the change. Even then I bet you there's some variable that can mess up and you could have an over or underwatering event. So it's, it's something you're going to have to learn for sure. That it, it is a, sort of frustrating because we all do want our new grower friends to have success right off the bat. And when you see them struggling or, or failing in some cases, it can be uh, frustrating for you and for them. They've invested time and money into this and they just want to have a successful grow. And there are some people out there that kill it on their first run. And sometimes I think that almost sets them up for less success because then they're like, Oh, I'm going to, it was so easy. I just, they put so much energy into that first one killed it. And then the second grow comes around they don't put all that same love and energy into it. And then some shit starts failing <laughs> and then they have to yeah. learn then like, Oh man, like all that energy and effort I put in that first time was necessary. Yeah. Life will definitely like blunt your, the tip of your, uh, <laughs> your sharpness, so to speak. Yeah. You'll, you'll learn. You'll, it'll, it'll happen. Good news just... is, I'm just saying the good news is man is no matter how bad it gets, you can always start over. True. You always just start over in a new space and just start fresh and, and don't get so frustrated that you quit because I've you known just a, start over fresh. I've known a couple one hit wonders because like the first one that the room's clean, it's all fresh, new start. 
then the second or third time around, something comes around like aphids or spider mites or something, and they didn't know, they don't know, and then they just get frustrated. Yeah, I know like at least three of them that that did it once and couldn't replicate. But and the one, <clears throat> the one person that like was a um, a friend of a friend's kind of thing. So they're like, yo, they killed it. You know, what's your story? You got, you know, whatever issues sometimes. I'm like, all right. And then that's when I, the next time I spoke with them, they're like, yeah, they're not doing it anymore. I'm like, what happened? But yeah, hey, persevere. Man. That's what it is. Persevere. And you will get the, the kind bud all the time. Don't stop. Never give up. Keep on growing. Like Spartan always says. There was a kid I used to live with in college. Uh, he was at the same dorm as me. His name was Tony. He would say, I'm not super religious, but I like this uh, takeaway. He said, if it ain't a blessing, it's a lesson. And I know it's not perfect rhyme, uh, but man, it, you know, sometimes growing will throw shit right in your face. And you think, God damn, like I, maybe I lost money or lost time on that grow, but you learned something. At least if you're open-minded, you learn something, how to prevent it in the future, at least, or you could teach somebody how to avoid it. Or you saw something that maybe you ignored, you could have tended to sooner. And like, for example, I have been very high on Farmer Freeman. Uh, sex testing, huge fan, big, big fan. I've had a hundred successful tests in the past. Every single one was correct. And I've said that to several people in the comments, dude, it's great. Great experience, blah, blah, blah. This last round I sent out, uh, I want to say like 10 samples and seven were male and three were female. So I went through as I normally do. And I looked at the numbers on the little tag, they come pre-labeled on the little stake. And I normally um, take a snip put it in the same cup as that snip and then seal the thing up. And it corresponds to an envelope that's pre-labeled, send it back to him. Well, I pulled aside the three females. I vegged them out in one gallon pots, uh, one Donnie burger and two Amy aces, <laughs> presumably all female. And I put them into my earth box, two of them, the Amy aces, because I was like, Oh, these both look really good. The one's a little taller. It was a little more vigorous. I thought it was just a phenol expression. Turns out the taller one was a fucking male. So two weeks into flower, uh, I'm like, it's taking a little while. And I was kind of almost in denial. I was looking at it. And I'm like, it's starting to show signs of balls. I'm like, I got the sex test. It's fine. You know, it kind of also had like, kinda, like almost pistols at the top. And I was like, is it Herman? And I'm like, no, that's just a full blown fucking male. I've grown enough males now to see up and down whole plant male. So like two weeks, almost two and a half, maybe three weeks into flower, it hadn't opened or dropped any pollen yet. So I had to go through an earth box, which is like, you know, if anybody who knows, just like a rectangular shaped pot there's two plants in it side by side and they were both probably like my chest height probably four and a half maybe five feet tall or not not that tall my pencil like five feet tall anyway however tall they are they're at the right distance from the light they're just finishing up their stretch and i have to chop the full one out and then i go back to my veg thankfully i had not given away the donnie burger i was going to give it to my barber because he'll sometimes take them and throw them outside and he's got a grow space he'll occasionally throw them in and finish it out and i'll get some flour here and there whatever this time, thankfully, he didn't come by and pick up a plant. So I pulled that Donnie Burger female, threw it in there, and it ended up actually being a female, true to the test. So I think, I'm not going to blame Farmer Freeman. I was probably a little medicated, probably mixed up the fucking snips and the tag. Uh, I'm not perfect. I had 100 successful runs before I fucked one up. So I still highly recommend that service. Uh, it saved me tons of time. And this is the first time I've had any fuck ups like that, but it was definitely an eye opener when you go in there. I'm like, I'm about to have a fuck ton of Amy Aces F2s because this thing was full of balls. Like I vegged it pretty big, trained it out. Like it filled out the other half of my grow space. Thankfully, the Donnie Burger is uh, big enough that I think it'll fill in that space as well. But it, it was a lesson for sure. And even years into the game, uh, doing it a lot, having lots of successful, I've pulled several pounds out of my little 
you know, five square foot tent and had tons of happy runs before having one kind of blow up in my face like this. And it's uh, like we were talking about earlier, growing or life can humble you. And it definitely is uh, nice to have that lesson. Just uh, keep your eyes open, always on the grow. Anytime I flip any new plants to flower, I'm always watching them in those first few weeks because anything can happen. Hermes or in this case, a uh, incidental male that snuck through. Yeah, they say, um, right, they say a man with two watches never knows what time it is. But honestly, I mean, this is not quite the same thing, but I, I think it's really helpful to get multiple angles on what, you know, what you're growing, getting like unaffiliated. It's almost like getting like a sort of a peer review sort of on how you're, how you're going about it, whether that's another grower taking a look that you trust or it's um, going out and getting some like, you know, sort of testing done about something or other. Um, and, and that kind of thing is becoming more and more available to people, which I'm excited about. And I'm really excited to see more technologies to that end with like, you know, like understanding how like microbes work with plants and, uh, you know, what are some other traits that we can kind of uh, test for. And I think that might even be way more possible in the next decade or so. People might be able to like sequence their, um, their plants and see like, you know, some of the, maybe some of the genes related to some of the traits that they're uh, uh, growing for. Uh, and that yeah. might make that might make breeding work super, super, not like I say easy, but it might make it a lot more um, uh, easy to pheno hunt, for example. A lot faster anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was, I was thinking that too, how <clears throat> if you could get a piece of the plant, like you send off to Freeman that young, and it could come back and tell you what uh, turf profile they can. will be in it. Yeah, they I can, can tell you, already, Reggie, right? from, Reggie from SC Labs has, I believe, like 30 of the terpenes genetically mapped from and, five days old as a seedling. Too, right? he could, yeah, cannabinoids are actually, I think, easier. The terpenes are a little bit harder because they can change based on environment. Some people call the terpene profile the environmental signature in some uh. cases. Um, but the terpenes are definitely a little bit more difficult. Here's the thing, though. It has to, as Matthew and many others have uh, suggested in the past, has to genetically be able to like with the turning purple has to be in the code originally. It can't just like turn purple out of nowhere. It has to have somewhat of a capability to do it. And so I think they have figured out like if you wanted to, I was really on pining for a while and I still enjoy it, but it's not like I need it as much as I used to for my needs. And um, if I was to breed for it, I thought, oh, I got these pine tar kush and the 79 Christmas bud I'm about to pop. And instead of growing them out, and, you know, flowering, you know, a few phenos of it, I could know from seedling, I could pop 20 of them and then send them in and they'll say, oh, numbers one, five, and seven have the highest aptitude for producing the most pining. So use those. Like it, this one's a male, this one's a female, and they're going to, they have the pathways to produce alpha pining. And if like, that's what you're looking for, that could save you time, but it costs upfront money. And right. so that's usually the drawback for a lot of people is they just don't want to spend the money up front and i don't blame them you can do stuff like spartan does you just take a cut of it throw it in your flower room and figure out the sex that works and it's like i don't blame him for doing that it works perfectly for him and uh a lot of other people do that exact same thing are prices going to come down like computers and stuff like that or what do you guys see in the future well, yeah so actually i was just reading about a research report for tomatoes um they were they were the report was talking about how because high throughput sequencing um, technology has become a lot easier to come by. Uh, basically, they were able to find like 14 new plant viruses 
new, you know, new to new to tomatoes, just simply by like taking a bunch of them, taking some samples and just, you know, smashing it through the machine to use a technical term. And I think in a similar sort of way, maybe not that that specific technique, but other kinds like it that are a little bit easier to accomplish are also going to become easier for people to use. Um, there's a, a gentleman named William Padilla Brown. Some people might know in chat and on Instagram as Mycosymbiote. And uh, besides having some pretty cool songs that I'm a fan of uh, that he's produced, he's also said a lot of things that are kind of interesting and has done some cool stuff with regards to cordyceps mushrooms and sequencing them um, in his sort of like um, uh, mobile, um, I guess you could say his mobile lab, basically. And uh, he has he has some of the knowledge about how to use these technologies, but some of them are kind of new, and they're like like the micro PC or mini PCR, and um, other sorts of systems that that are uh, kind of like for individual use. And you still have to learn how to use them, but um, I don't know. I think that that being useful now in ten years, twenty years, thirty years, it'll be interesting to see how that has influenced, if at all how we grow stuff as breeders and things like that. PCR costs are coming down at least for like home scale ones. So I know at a certain point it should, once enough people have access to it, the costs I'd imagine will drop. It's about $10 per test right now, which I think is actually even still worth it uh, in time saved, light saved and things like that. In my setting, it, it just works out for me, but um, it's not needed by any means. It's um, somebody also just asked, what about Bob says, um, does farmer Freeman ask for, uh, the cotyledons. Cotyledons, cotyledons or true leaves delta leaf asks for cotyledons for legal purposes but says use true leaves if they if the cotyledons have yellowed or dried um yeah farmer freeman you can do a smash card if you're in a state that's like a red state and you're worried about the legality i'm in a legal state they're also in a legal territory so i can legally send it to them and also for all intents and purposes it's a hemp slip which is legal to send all 50 states it's not going to have high enough THC to test for cannabis at that point early in its seedling life, in my opinion. So it's basically a hemp sample. Um, but with that said, Spartan Grown, it's about that time. Uh, went a little bit over your normal time, but let you do your final shout out and thought before uh, you reload that tray and head on over to the Michigan Bros Grow Show and let the dogs out. Thanks, Jack. One thing, a workaround on that. If you're in a red state and you're worried about it, just dip the plant material in ISO. It'll dissolve any fucking resin, and then you can fucking take the plant material out and smash away. Um, yeah, I don't even know what. I'm just thanks for having me on the show. It was awesome. I'm kind of scatterbrained today because I had a, a crazy weekend, so, so I, I just partied it up a little bit much this weekend. So I love you guys. Love chat. Love seeing you guys. And uh, catch me on the Michigan Bros Grow Show here coming up in about uh, ten minutes. I gotta hurry up good times man thank you so much for coming we always appreciate your input and that's a good tip on the uh sex testing the smash card also works you can take a, a leaf and, and smash it up on a little card and then it's just a juice sample they also test like asparagus and other plants for sex testing so it could be anything they don't know that you're growing cannabis because you're sending it to farmer freeman it, it does say farmer freeman but they you can google it and it has other plants so you're not going to implicate yourself for example by sending it to that address if anybody's worried about that um, so I don't know about the other services, but he's also a home grower. That's why I choose to support him. He grows some dank. If you follow him on Instagram. That's cool. Uh, Spartan Grown. You can also catch him at uh, SpartanGrown at gmail.com. And you can also find him at Spartan Grown on Instagram. One thing I wanted to do, because uh, normally we don't shout out the uh, entirety of the chat, 
I'm going to share a screen right now and just pull up a chat and talk to you guys. I think it'll be fun because, you know, you guys usually say some mostly savory things. So I think it'll be like YouTubeception right here. Maybe I should do pop out chat so I don't see myself talking. Uh, but cheers to Smart Poker, UK SIF 420. What about Bob? Weedus 207. Uh, Crack Babies DWC, Dog Pounds. He uh, won a giveaway at, I think, Eagle Show a little bit back. Maybe even on this show. Anova, Spartan, thank you for coming. Real Red Hairs, RZ Banshee. Um, I could probably figure out a way to do... Oh, there it is, Creative Poll. They were talking about this earlier. I, I thought this was only an exclusive thing. That's funny. I should have uh, done this right here. But you live and you learn, chat. This is uh, what's called doing it live. Um, Matthew or... Um, the American one. Do you have anybody in the chat in particular you'd want to shout out? I also want to shout out Chicha B, fellow YouTuber, also member of the Michigan cannabis community. Cheers, Chicha. Yeah, I'll shout out uh, people here first. We got Smile Poker, Real Redheads, um, Kate Armstrong. Kate Armstrong is usually one of the first ones. Uh, there was a new name I saw today that was here early too. Uh, I don't know if they're still here. But anyway, yeah, everyone in chat's awesome. It's good to see all you peeps out there. C-Dub from NorCal. He's actually going to be C-Dub from SoCal. He's moving down here towards uh, Jack, which will be cool. Um, Smiley's Garden, Smart Poker, Crispy Wannabe, the cannabis couple there. Always good to see them. Mike B with the threes instead of the uh, E's. Bunch of good people. T. Barrington, the American ones in there earlier. Shredder, 0911. Matthew, anybody you see in there? Well, Eagle Gardens. Another great yes. member of the community, fucking talking shit with Eagle host. He's been doing a great job, both on the wormhole and interviewing people over there. I want to see his Jinx Proof episode coming up. I haven't heard much from Jinx since he last went on Eagle show, and he got a brain surgery since then, lived through it, and seems like he's been making a good recovery. So cheers to Jinx. Nectarheads is a new one I haven't seen, but cheers to you, Nectarheads. You saw you uh, shout out the American one. Truth Serum asked a good question earlier. Always happy to have you, Truth Serum. Teddy Sidesman, cheers to you. I know this is a, a little bit probably going to be boring for the uh, podcast listeners, but I do like to give the <laughs> live chat people, and, and like we could talk about other things. I, Trust me, we could totally fill 10 minutes of air, five minutes of air with doing other things in the chat. But I do like giving some love to people like the Major General 420 Army. He always says, uh, Jack, give me that Donnie Burger. Well, I'm growing it now. I'm going to have some flour. So if you want to come to Southern California, uh, the Major General 420 Army, I know you're a Canadian. So if you want to make your way down here, I don't know if they're allowing people out of Canada. Well, I'm just looking at the YouTube now and we totally get the uh, infinite view. That's pretty fun where it's like window within a window, windowception. Yeah, Crack Babies DWC was here earlier today, early, early today, too. Shout him out again. Good dude. Uh, the 36-hour dark, turn them all, turn them on, then turn them oh, on. Oh, yeah. I never if, – so if the if you're on veg and you're uh, six hours of darkness, I try to just incorporate that six hours of darkness into when I go to flower. I don't like switching, but if you have to switch it, to where you're gonna have the light on in your flower when it used to be off in your veg, I would definitely go 36 hours of darkness. I think maybe I hate doing that. I, I just think that how could it not freak out the plant a little? You know what I'm saying? No, I agree. Um, 
Dr. MJ, I think rightfully says sometimes maybe it's not the best idea to stress them out a lot right before they go into flower, which is like one of the most important times. And when their hormones are changing, I think that can lead to potentially herming them. Kyle Breeder shared a theory that somebody shared with him that doing two or three days of darkness before flowering will actually right. inhibit the stretch, if not completely reduce it. Oh, yeah. Yep. And that was an interesting theory to me. I wouldn't want to do that. I prefer to have a vigorous stretch. I think that's one of the most important uh, productive times of flower. You get the most growth out of like the least amount of time for the same amount of light. And um, the darkness before harvest, I love because it's like, I don't think you're getting that much more out of those last two days of light and you're saving the electricity. And I do think that the terpenes might be building up in that dark period. And like, when the hell is the light going to come back on? Like, what the fuck yeah. is going on? Like, is the world ending? It's fucking been dark for two days. Like, what is happening? <laughs> That's kind of how I felt about it a little bit. Is that um, the the like the various aspects of growth are not like they're not like delineated. There there um, there is some separation, but like physiologically, there's a lot of like interactions and connections there. So like, if you make things weird in order to achieve the effect of like you know having the growth be stunted, like vertically that might serve a good purpose for you perhaps but um i i would have to imagine that you're also affecting other things that might be invisible you know uh, that you won't be able to perceive until afterwards and, and maybe even then in the moment you won't realize what happened or if there's a change i also want to ask if the the major general uh, if that screen name is a gilbert and sullivan um pirates of penzance reference or not i always wonder whenever i see the title that's interesting. I just saw High on Homegrown. Also, cheers to you. They said, I made it on the show. Yes, you did. High on Homegrown. I've actually, I believe High on Homegrown is another podcast. And I believe that Tommy Chong has actually been on High on Homegrown. I believe it's from uh, Percy's Grow Room over there in the UK. I could be wrong, but uh, shout out to them. High on Homegrown. Good to see you. We've got about seven minutes left. I want to throw it over to the American one and ask him if he has any final thoughts, questions, or shout outs that he wants to make before we go into our sign out. Um, just a regular shout out to everyone that's usually on the panel that didn't make it today. Uh, Dr. MJ Coco, Noah the Grower, uh, Predicated Breeding, and I think those are oh, ATG Acres. I missed yeah. Aaron. Yeah. The combo, Aaron the Grower and uh, Predicated Breeding. They're yeah. teaming up. They're probably prepping so, for Oklahoma. So big things are happening with them. Yeah, that's awesome. And I saw three of our panel there. Yeah, well, we're, oh, uh, yeah. we're migrating. Yeah, Brandon went there from San Diego, and now we've got Kyle from. Be, uh, be a big okay party, man. It really is kind of the booming area of cannabis. Like, yeah. In my opinion, in the Green Rush, there's not a state that has more of an opportunity for up and coming cultivators to actually have a chance in the professional market. The other markets are right. Yeah. I just hope they're not a victim of their own success. Oklahoma folk is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like what happened in Oregon, basically the first couple of years, I think they might be right. better placed in the timeline of history and yeah. location. As Brandon said, they're kind of a hub centrally. They do already ship out a lot of stuff. And um, legally, I think that there's been more talk about federal, whether we like it or not. Uh, whether it's going to be how we want it to come out or not. I do think when you hear it being brought up so often by so many different people and so many different prop, like, you know, uh, Corey Booker and a few others have made these big things and they've pushed them forward. It doesn't make it through, but 
when they keep trying and trying, eventually one of them is going to get through. So I think when it happens, Oklahoma will hopefully avoid some of the issues with Oregon by saying, hey, we're opening up our border to shipping it out. If we produce too much for our own state, we'll sell it out, out of the state. If we produce just enough for us, we'll keep it here. And uh, we'll see. I think it's going to be yeah, an interesting states, future. States probably can't allow interstate tra- uh, commerce with cannabis, right? They'll be breaking federal law. Even Some states have tried. There is a commerce clause problem. Yeah. Oregon and California, because they have a shared border, I think they're trying to make a... Um, that would make sense if they have shared borders, you know, that would make sense. And probably the whole West be, Coast, Washington you know, should Washington, Oregon, and then California. It would make sense if, in my opinion, that'd be the first interstate commerce that would make logical sense. And even maybe Nevada, because it borders California. Yeah, it's all there, too. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. It'll be curious to see how it opens up. I also wanted to shout out a longtime weed nerd. Great cannabis community member st bernard's observation booth eagle garden shout him out earlier and i just saw him in the chat so cheers to st bernard's observation booth pretty badass uh individual in the cannabis community. i wish i wish you would do a couple interviews with us you know that'd be awesome Maybe we could talk him into it one day you're welcome to come on the show st bernard's if you ever want to you don't have to show your face uh i know eagle's probably invited you a trillion times but if you want to come on here for any reason maybe a panel show will be easier you can just uh, chill in the background and jump in when you want to talk if you're here listening you might want to you know, voice your opinion in those moments. But with that being said, uh, I'm going to pass it over to our staff writer at Skunk Magazine, badass student in general, uh, Matthew Gates. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that, uh, the content from the chat today. I really appreciated it. I thought that we had some cool, some cool new people. And of course, many people that we've seen already. And uh, if you are interested in getting help with a pest issue, I'm always happy to help folk whether you're a home grower or whether you're a commercial entity, I do work with people professionally, but I do make a a great effort to help as many people as possible because generally IPM, pests and cannabis, not very well supported. If you need information, you can find it in three places. You can find it in my Instagram account, Sync Angel, my Twitter account, Sync Angel, and also you can find it on my YouTube account, Xenthanol, which is the same one that I was commenting in in the chat. And I have a pest primer video coming out a mini video already about the Eurasian hemp borer, which is a massive problem in North America and also other parts of the world like, um, well, <laughs> Eurasia, the Eurasian hemp borer after all. So you can check that out on my YouTube channel. I love it when the name is uh, appropriate to the region that it's from. You know, it makes sense. It's fair in the naming scheme, in my opinion. Uh, but I really personally, that's my favorite content you put out is the pest primers because um, it's very individual to that specific uh, pest. And it also has so much information about like, you know, where it comes from, uh, what you can use to fight it. And uh, it's like life cycle and so many good things, predators that go after it. I really, really enjoy that content as well as the rest of the content over on uh, Xenthanol's YouTube. And uh, just really appreciate everything you're putting out there for the community. So thank you so much, Matthew, for joining us. Pass it over next to the American one. Jack, thanks for hosting again. And um, it's always awesome when we get to hang out and talk cannabis. It's always good to see everyone in chat. and yeah, we got the the panelists that weren't here. Shout out. We'll give a shout out old school to Shane. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Good stuff. Always ha- happy to have you join us. Always thankful for the people in the chat. We're coming up to 420,000 uh, podcast downloads in the next few weeks. We're at like 415 or 416K. So I'll keep making sure I upload that to the podcast platform after the shows. 
uh, for those people that listen there. For the people that listen on the YouTube, just want to remind you to smash that thumbs up button before you go to uh, help support us just a little bit, help uh, get us out there to some of those new listeners who might be trying to find a way to cheaply grow at home. So uh, shout out to the Cheap Home Grow community. All of you make this a really awesome experience for us. I know I enjoy coming here each week and uh, sharing my time with the panel. And many of them, even if they can't make it uh, one week, I know often enjoy their time back. Seeing 111 in chat, that's uh, one of those angel numbers. So they say it's good luck, good thing, good vibes, great community. Much love to all you guys. This is at Jack Greenstock. If you want to find me, I'm on Instagram primarily or uh, 50strains.com if you want a copy of 50 Strands of Green. Thank you all very much for coming. And I'm going to try and get this on the podcast as soon as possible tonight. But uh, we'll catch you all next week. Jack Greenstock signing out. Peace and love. Grow is love. Growers love for Dr. MJ since he's not here this week. Catch you all in the next one. Peace.